This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. This is part two of the habit that cost $100 million to learn and why it was worth it with Keith Cunningham. If you missed part one, consider going back and listening to that. You'll get Keith's background, how he had been very successful in business, getting up to a net worth of $100 million and how all of a sudden a little shift and not only did he lose it all, but he was upside down over $100 million. The lessons and habits he learned that allowed him to build his net worth all the way back up and exceed what it was initially at that point in time. This episode is a continuation of that conversation. A quick friendly reminder, since Keith has been generous, he is signing three copies of the book, which we will be shipping out to three of you. If you would like to get a free signed copy of his book, The Road Less Stupid, you can enter in one of two ways. Number one, you can leave us a podcast review on your player of choice. All you have to do is reference this episode and share the one thing that you're going to do based on this episode that'll make everything else easier or unnecessary. You can also share this podcast on your social media platform of choice and include the hashtag, the one thing. We are curating all the reviews and all the the posts through that hashtag. And on July 9th, we will be announcing who the three lucky winners are and we'll be sending you each a copy, a signed copy of The Road Less Stupid. With that, let's get into part two of the episode with Keith Cunningham. There's, there's one thing I remember when I was going through the five disciplines that really shocked me. And it was, um, I forget the exact verbiage you used around it, distinguishing the problem from the symptom. Mm. Is that the correct way to phrase it? It is. And ultimately building the wrong machine. Mm. So go, go into this because this just further illustrates the need to having time for you to think, to ask the right questions and getting clarity. What does it mean to distinguish the problem from the symptom? I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to actually do this with me when I ask this question. I want you to write down right now on your piece of paper one of the three biggest problems that you have. Let's let's keep it to business, even though you might have health challenges or relationship challenges. Let's let's keep it in the business context. Write down, if if you're sitting with other people right now, write it really, really small. Put your hand over it so nobody can see. I'm not going to ask you to share this with anybody. This is only for you. What is one of the three biggest problems you currently have with your business? You're just writing right now. You're just writing it down. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, that's enough. Time's up. You did a great job, by the way. Uh, you, you started writing down. Many of you are still writing right now because you think this assignment, it's all about writing down the problem when in reality, all I ask you to do, really what I want you to do is just think about it. All of us have an is line. This is the way it looks. This is reality. This is the way it looks. And most of us don't tell the truth about what is, which is one of the problems. 40-something years ago, I was at the University of Texas. That's where I went to school. And every day I walked past the tower and etched in granite over the door to the library 
was a phrase you've heard and I've heard a thousand times. I read it every day for five years. And the saying is, you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've all heard that. And for five years, I looked at that and said, that's probably the dumbest thing I've ever read. What, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean you should know the truth and the truth will set you free? What does that mean? Really and truly. Most of us haven't thought about that. I had to think about that years later after I lost a lot of money. And I figured out that, that as long as you're not telling the truth, you don't have choices. As long as you're lying to yourself, you're not going to make a change. Alcoholics don't stop drinking as long as they think they don't have a problem. It's not till they admit they have a problem. So kind of being honest with what really is. What's the truth? This is reality. All of us have another line, which is called the ought line. Is and ought. Is is the way it looks. Ought is the way I'd like for it to look. We're really good at this one. We're really good at vision boards and mission statements and all that other stuff of, of the law of attraction. If we just can get clear enough, this is goal setting. These are targets. This is saying, well, at the beginning of the year, well, our goal for 2018 is to increase revenues by 47%, which is probably one of the most intergalactically stupid things that anybody can say. What do you mean your goal? If you don't have a yellow brick road on how to get from where you are to 47% increase, it's wishful thinking. That's all most people's goal setting is is wishful thinking. They step on the bathroom scales, they weigh five pounds too much, and they go, oh, God, I wish I weighed five pounds less. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make that a goal. That's about how much thought goes into most people's goals is they say, oh, I wish, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll make it a goal. This is what is, this is what ought. The difference is what you just wrote down on your piece of paper four minutes ago when I asked you to think about one of your three biggest problems. You very quickly said, where am I? Where would I like to be? And that's my problem. Hmm. Every one of us does it. It's one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we define our problems by comparing where we are to where we'd like to be when in reality, the difference between where we are and where we'd like to be is not a problem, it's a symptom. Let me give an example. I thought of where we are revenue-wise, I thought of where I'd like us to be revenue-wise, and one of the problems I wrote is that revenue gap. The revenue is not, the, the gap in revenue is not the problem, it's the symptom of the problem. There you go. That's exactly it. We say things like, I don't have enough revenue. Okay, so the problem must be that not enough people know about me. So I need to, you know, amp up my social media digital strategy. Enough people know about me, but they're, uh, my price is too high. We start making up this huge story that somehow explains the gap, when in reality, this is not the problem. This is the symptom. The problem is right here. This is where the problem is. What is it that is really preventing my is line from moving? 
What is it that is preventing my is line from moving? What can I do today to improve my situation? Ordinary things, consistently done, produce extraordinary results. Say that again. Ordinary things, consistently done, produce extraordinary results. What can I do today to improve my situation? What is the thing that's blocking me? So, you know, a great example might be I say, well, all right, I want to lose five pounds. And so my problem is I weigh five pounds too much. What I, that's, not, that's not the problem. That's a symptom. I, kn I know it's a symptom because my answer is going to be tactical. Hmm. As soon as I come up with a tactical answer, I haven't found the core problem. Symptoms, anytime you come up with a tactical answer, it's a result of you've identified the symptom and not the problem. So I say, I weigh five. my problem is I weigh five pounds too much, so what do I need to do about it? Oh, well, should I join a gym or should I buy a jump rope or do I need a new elliptical trainer in my home uh, gym? Do, do I need a new pair of Nikes? Do I, what, 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 needs to do, what needs to happen here? And so every one of those is a tactical solution. And the reason it's tactical is because I've identified the symptom. Uh, here's another way to say this. You can check and see whether or not the answer you've come up with is the right answer by saying, if I had 100 of them, if I had a hundred pair of Nike tennis shoes, if I belonged to a hundred gyms, if I had a hundred elliptical trainers in my house, if I just had diet, Oprah's newest diet book, if I just had that, okay, well, if I had a hundred diet books, would that solve the problem? No, which means that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The reason that I weigh five pounds too much has absolutely nothing to do with a lack of elliptical trainer, jump rope, Oprah's new diet book, or not belonging to 100 gyms. They're not connected. Look at most people who weigh five pounds too much. They know what to do. That's not the problem. The problem is something else. So how do we identify what the problem is? really is. The vast majority of my thinking time is around getting clarity on the problem that I'm solving for. Otherwise, I build a machine for the problem that isn't. Say that again. The vast majority of my thinking time is spent trying to identify the core root problem. Otherwise, I wind up building a machine for the problem that isn't. And your attic is full of unused exercise equipment, Nike tennis shoes, diet books, expired gym memberships, all in the irrational belief that the Problem was, I weighed five pounds too much, and so what do I need to do about it? I need to join a gym. That's why most of our lives don't change. It's why we don't achieve the success that we want, is because we've done a poor job of identifying the obstacle that's in the way.
The key to being successful in business is figuring out the obstacle that needs to be overcome and then marshalling the people, the resources, the execution, the team in order to overcome that obstacle. What are some questions people can consider during their thinking time to get clarity on what the obstacle is? That is such a good question, and it is contained. The the answer is contained in, for sure, the first four chapters of this book. But I'll give you a couple of examples. You could ask the question, how did this get to be a problem to begin with? What if I could only blank, I could put a serious dent in this problem, fill in that blank. If I only had blank, I could put a serious dent in this problem. The first question is skills. The second question is resources. What could I do to make this problem worse (laughs) is a great way to begin getting some clarity around what is the core root problem, really, Hmm. really and truly. And it's, it's some of the hardest work I do because my tendency is just like everyone else's. My tendency is to find an obvious answer that's very tactical and then go execute on that answer as opposed to get clarity about, forget about the answer for a minute, can I get clarity around the obstacle that's actually in the way? Well, I think this goes to support what you said earlier. We ask a question and we crave an answer so desperately, the moment we get it, we stop thinking and we start acting. And when you look at most business owners, most entrepreneurs, are they fast movers or slow movers? They're very fast. They're very fast, right. We want it done yesterday. So we get the answer and immediately we go looking for the tactics of it without ever diagnosing what the real obstacle is that's preventing the growth. And then we go and build a machine that doesn't actually solve the problem. Which is a waste of time and a waste of resources, which is why most people don't make forward progress. If we're going to make forward progress, let's make sure that we're allocating our resources, both our time and our money. Gary in his work and the one thing, and that's such an important concept, is how do, we, how do we figure out what is the most important thing and how do we marshal our resources and control our calendar and set the priorities so that the one thing, the most important thing, that will allow us to overcome the obstacle or the most important thing that we can achieve that will move the needle is the thing that gets our bandwidth and our our focus. And the problem is we fall into the trap of being busy instead of productive. It's, It's every entrepreneur's downfall is the idea that if, my God, look how hard I'm working. I'm sleeping on a cot in my office under my desk. I uh, look how look how hard I'm working, and it's not about working hard. Although having a strong work ethic is critical, I don't want to minimize that. It's just not the most important thing. It's doing the most important thing. There That's you go. The most important thing. There you go. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It's one of the reasons I like Gary's book so much. Uh, me too. If you like Gary's book, you're going to love this one. Well, they, they they rhyme with each other in a lot of ways. Well, let me underscore this because um, I figured out that, again, when I looked at Gary and asked how did he get there, he has mastered the ability of attracting top, top talent into his world, A-plus players, and keeping them inside his world. Now, that's big. That's the 57th domino, right? That's the domino that you knock down and reaches almost from the earth to the moon. When you ask the question, what's the one thing I can do, such that by doing it would make attracting A-plus talent and keeping it inside my world easier or unnecessary, coach them to their possibilities when they might be fighting for their limitations. What's the one thing I can do to coach them to their possibilities? Ask great questions. What's the one thing I can do to ask great questions? I whittled it all the way down to my two-inch domino that I could do every day was ask one question a day when I normally would have told. Mm. Ask one question a day when I normally would have told, Mm. which then led to where do I get a mind bank of questions? So when I heard that you had 704 Deadly questions in this book, questions that are so big that you don't know the immediate answer. It makes you stop and go, huh, great question. That's when I dove in, and that's why it's been on my nightstand along with the one thing ever since. So for those of you who are interested in going down a road to mastering asking great questions, to developing the habit of having time to think, you may want to consider studying the book. (laughs) Silver platter, people. It's on it for you. Yeah, the heavy lifting has been done. The heavy lifting was uh, living and going through all of the mistakes for the last 45 years and then collecting those and getting them down on a piece of paper. So the good news is you don't have to make all those mistakes uh, in order to learn the lesson. Speaking of mistakes, what's the single biggest mistake someone can make? when they want to develop the habit of thinking time, yet they make this mistake and it stops them? I think the, the question I get most frequently, I speak around the world to a number of business owners every year teaching. And the one mistake people make is they attempt to do it perfectly. They let perfect get in the way of possible. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of people that say, Tell me how you do thinking. And I have a chapter in here on how I do it and what the ritual is that I have for it. Big, big, big picture. The the key to being successful with thinking time is no different than the key to being successful at anything else you haven't done. And that is anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. We've been raised with the incredibly stupid idea that we've all heard a thousand times, anything worth doing is worth doing well. And that's dead wrong at the beginning. At the beginning, it's about doing it poorly. Not forever, only at the beginning. Let's do what's possible. And if all you'll do is sit with a question, I do it three times a week, I do it for 45 minutes a session, I've been at it for a while now, so I have 10,000 hours of thinking time under my belt. I've studied this, thought about the same question frequently, more than once. Uh, There's some questions I got 
50 different sessions into just trying to test and make sure. Or maybe I thought I had the answer and then went and executed and turns out I hadn't really identified the core obstacle and so I had to go back and start over. It's about setting aside 30 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes. I've narrowed it down to as little as if I'm laying in bed, putting my head on the pillow about to go to sleep and I realize that I haven't had my thinking time for the day, can I ask a question and at least find one answer? And if I do that, that is that earns an X on my 66-day challenge calendar because I'd rather have a level of progress versus the idea of perfection. I, 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 think, I think that's incredibly insightful. I, I believe that the idea is improvement and how do I get better as opposed to a destination and when am I going to arrive? Uh, there's a number of things that separates masters from somebody that's simply good. And one of the things about masters is they never arrive at their destination. They're constantly looking for how do I improve? How do I get better? What needs to, what needs to be polished or sanded, uh, repainted? Where's the maintenance need to be? What, where do I need to put in some additional cycles? Very, very famous composer, pian- pianist. I, I happen to be a concert pianist. I play classical music. Uh, I used to. I do it less now. But writing a book cuts into a lot of extraneous mm-hmm. activities. There's a very famous composer, pianist, who said, if I don't practice for one day, I notice. If I don't practice for two days, they notice. Mm. This idea of practicing and practicing to improve, I think is critical. I, I think one of the most powerful things I've done in my life, I think one of the most powerful things you could do in your life is to teach what you know. The fastest path to mastery is to teach what you've learned. It doesn't mean teach it perfectly. It just means what's possible. And if all that's possible is Five minutes at the end of the day, that's not perfect, it's not ideal, but it's it's better than nothing. Setting aside a few minutes with a big chief tablet, a pen, a great question at the top of the page, and let's start creating answers. Let's see, let's see what choices and possibilities there are. I, I happen to believe there is, I have five core beliefs as it relates to business. I believe there is no such thing as a natural business owner. I don't think they're born. I think there's no such thing as a natural investor. I don't think they're born. I don't think there's such a thing as a natural actor. I I think they've polished their craft. They've practiced. One of my core beliefs is that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. At the beginning, uh, I think most of us make the mistake of trying to do it well. I think trial and error is a incredibly poor way to learn anything. Uh, if I had to, I'm standing on, on people's shoulders right now. I promise you Gary Keller is standing on some people's shoulders. People are standing on my shoulders right now. People are standing on their shoulders. People are standing on Gary, Gary uh, Keller's shoulders right now. We're all, nobody is self-made. We're all, we're all, 
standing on other people's shoulders. What made me think of this is this other core belief, which is uh, the people with the best lives have the best choices. Mm -hmm. People with crappy lives have crappy choices. People with great lives have great choices. And what's required in order to create great choices is the ability to sit and quietly and think as opposed to immediately find something to do. We don't do enough thinking, never have. And so as a result, we wind up tired, exhausted, frustrated. We wind up lowering our expectations in order to somehow put some Novocaine on the pain of, I'm not going to get to where I wanted to get. And it's not a lack of ability. It's a lack of clarity. The problem that we have is not ability. It's clarity. Clarity about the obstacle. Clarity about the priorities. Clarity about the one thing. Clarity about protecting my calendar and making sure that I'm executing on the things that will actually move the needle. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of things that I think are most important and I think we should be focusing on if we want the success we say we want in our lives. And by the way, folks, The Road Less Stupid has just come out on Audible. So if you would prefer to listen to the book rather than read it in print and you are not yet an Audible customer, you can get a 30-day free trial and get a free copy of The Road Less Stupid by going to audible.com slash one thing. Again, that's audible.com slash one thing. Or you can text one thing to the number 500 500. You'll get a free 30-day trial. You'll get a copy of The Road Less Stupid at no cost to you. And if you are already an Audible customer like myself, I've already read the book several times. I'm still going to get it on Audible because I want Keith's sweet, sweet information in my head while I drive. Go to audible.com slash one thing and get your copy today or text one thing to the number 500-500. Question that, as you were sharing all that, that I had for you, what's the one area that you're letting perfect get in the way of possibility, that if you flipped it, would make everything else easier or unnecessary? Where are you currently allowing perfect get in the way of your possibility? If you could just make the change to that one area where you started focusing on the progress, just the little two-inch domino, that would change everything. You mentioned we don't do enough thinking time. Think about your last week, your last two weeks. How much time did you purposefully sit down with the intention of thinking? Focusing on answering a great question, knowing that this is not the time to check email. This is not the time to say yes when somebody stops by and asks if I got a minute. This is not the time to answer my phone. This is my time to think. How many minutes did you invest combined? Based on that, what's the most potent step you can take? There's a great exercise. I actually talk about it in the book in a chapter. And the chapter is called You Inc. You <laughs> Inc. I N C. And the reality is, all of us are CEOs of our lives. We have in our in my life, just like in your life, there's finance and there's accounting and there's production and there's training and learning and training and learning, which is why you're listening and watching this. 
there's human resources, there's all these things that are exactly the same as in my businesses. In a business, if you're the CEO of a business, you have a board of directors. One of the problems we have as business owners is we don't, as human beings, is we don't tend to have a board. We don't have people on our personal board of directors like we would with our businesses. So an exercise that I think would be worthwhile for you to do would be to ask yourself this scenario. If you had a board of directors and they followed you around for the last week and watched every click of your mouse, watched the priorities that you set, watched how you allocated your time during the course of a day, and they watched you 24 hours a day. They knew everything that you did all day long for the last 20, uh, for the last seven days. If you had a board that was watching your level of performance, your intensity of performance, the question would be, would your board give you a raise? Would they give you a talking to? Or would they terminate you as CEO? And here's the truth. Most of us, if we had a board and we told the truth about what we prioritize, the intensity level at which we approach the work that we're doing, the level of commitment, the level of focus, the level of prioritization, if most of us had a board, the best case is we get a severe talking to. That's the best case. Mm -hmm. Very few of us are working at the level at which we've earned the raise. It's a great exercise. At the end of the day, it all comes down to time, right? And this is something that when Gary and Jay and I put our heads together and ask the question, what are we actually doing in this? What business are we in? We're in the business of time, helping people get clarity on it, helping them control it, helping them invest it. Prioritize it. So here's where I'm going. Most people go through their days doing all the things that don't matter, hoping to free up time for the things that matter most. They work hard and they look up at the end of the day and ask, did I even get anything done? They look at their calendars and they see a parking lot for everyone else's priorities, not theirs. How do you schedule your time? Mm. I operate off of outcomes, like we talked about earlier. I have outcomes that are important to me for the year. Uh, I have outcomes that are important to me for the month uh, or the quarter, the support, um, perhaps the year. Um, and if I'm going to hit whatever outcomes I have, there's outcomes for the week. I tend to do really well with weekly thinking trying to slot my, um, control my calendar in five-minute increments, mm -hmm. which is what the President of the United States does, is uh, I don't have that kind of staff and that kind of uh, brain. So I tend to think in terms of weeks. Um, I, I have outcomes. I plan my week before it starts. Every week, I plan my week. I put the big rocks into my calendar in chunks, which is how I wrote this book. This book was actually, it was 
released in in January of this year, but it was actually started eight years ago. (laughs) And every year for eight years, uh, I would sit down, as a lot of people do, with their New Year's resolutions, and I sit and say, okay, well, Keith, finish the book. And that became wishful thinking. And every year I wrote that down for seven straight years. And finally, 15, 18 months ago, I wrote down, I'm going to have this thing finished, my part of it, written by a date in April. And I did. But it's because I had a deadline and I then calendarized my week uh, so that I allocated chunks of time to writing the book. As long as I was thinking about it and wishing for it, but not getting translated into a calendar, wasn't happening. For seven straight years, it did not happen. So can I repeat what I heard? Yep. What I did not hear you say is you wake up, ask what should I do today, don't have the immediate answer, open your email inbox, answer everyone else's priorities, and then bounce from meeting to meeting, checking email. And what I heard is you have clarity on outcomes that you want for the year. And based on that, you have clarity on outcomes for the month, which then drives your priorities for the week. And those priorities get large blocks of time on your calendar scheduled before anything else earns the right to have a spot. Before the week starts. Before the week starts. It's planned. I'm not medieval about it. I mean, you know, if something encroaches someplace, I'm going to, I'm going to, be flexible enough, but I'm not going to allow um, random urgent to get in the way of the outcomes and deliverables that I've prioritized. I'm going to stay, I'm going to keep it pretty tight. And my people around me, I've got helpers. I've got a lot of helpers and my helpers know what my calendar looks like and they help me uh, protect me from me. Uh, my, I, I have a saboteur. His name is Keith. <laughs> and that sucker wakes up every morning and tries to figure out, okay, how can I, how can I put a dent in this guy's life? How can I make him limp, right? My biggest saboteur is not other people. My biggest saboteur is me. And so I got to be uh, constantly on guard uh, yeah, that sounds like a big thing, but I'm aware, uh, not on guard, I'm aware that, look, there's some things that I have a tendency to, you know, the entrepreneurial instinct, take action very quick, make fast decisions, don't think about second. Well, once I'm aware of that, the pro- here, here's the bumper sticker, the price of awareness is responsibility. Once I'm aware of it, I'm now responsible mm. for that particular outcome, that particular awareness. I can't be responsible if I'm not aware. If I'm not aware that I have bad breath, there's nothing I can do about it. But once I'm aware, oh, okay, well, now there's something I can do about it. I'm aware that I have certain tendencies, and if left unguarded or unchecked, those tendencies are going to sabotage me. So how do I be thoughtful about how I'm going to approach achieving the outcomes I want. It's not, it's not, there's no miracle. There's no mystery in here for sure. For sure. There is no secret. There are no secrets. There's just stuff you haven't learned yet. It's, it's not a secret about what it takes to be successful. 
You look at the people that are massively successful, it's not because they sat around and owned up some kind of vision for what they want it to look like. It's because they got off their butt, prioritized the appropriate thing, and went and consistently executed and had accountability. And I, that's the third leg of the stool for me. If somebody says to me, Keith, how do, how do you be successful? I say, all right, look, get clear on the outcomes. Get clear on the priorities. Set your calendar. Set it. Plan it. Be protected. And then have accountability. Without accountability, I think it's almost impossible to be successful. It's why you, you look at Michael Dell, Mark Zuckerberg, the Google Boys, Larry Ellison, Philip Knight, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. You look at any of them. These were not a bunch of cowboys. They weren't out there just firing their gun at whatever moved it. They had a board of directors that they were accountable to, and Steve Jobs screwed it up so bad they fired him because he was not doing it the right way. And it wasn't until he learned the lesson that they brought him back, and Steve's success is not from what he started. It's from what he built. Starting a business is about the easiest thing to do. Any idiot can start a business, and most idiots do. The key is not starting one. The key is, can I build one? And that requires skills and tools. It's about how you do it, not what you do. I'm on a rant. I like it, though. I I put the quarter and let it go. The aha that I have, if I'm putting myself in in your shoes, is asking the question, where am I on the spectrum? From the person on one end who wakes up, asks, what am I going to do, then goes into email and the rest of the day flies by, to what you said, clarity on outcomes that drives clarity on priorities, that drives what your calendar needs to look like, and then accountability based on the activities to accomplish the priorities, to accomplish the outcomes. Where do you fall on that scale? And at the end, regardless of where you fall, if you feel like you need to move more toward the version that Keith described, understand this is exactly what we have been teaching. It's everything that we've been doing in the membership. It's why we have the 411 on the website. If you aren't using a 411, it gives you clarity on your outcomes and priorities for the year so you can drive your priorities for the month, so you can drive your priorities for the week. One thing.com with the number one, click on free stuff. It's free. What are you waiting for? What do you think stops people from getting their key? Because it's when you say it like that, it's so simple, yet we have decades of habits of reacting throughout our days. How does someone begin to normalize the version that you described? Oh man. I mean, there's so many answers. <laughs> So many answers to that. It's so many. There's a you know huge psychological level. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I think in order to achieve extraordinary success, it requires consistent execution of ordinary things, and I think where we fail is we tend to want the results that we want faster. We want it with the least amount of muss and fuss. We, we want to put in the least and get the most. It, 
it's no secret why lotteries sell billions of dollars worth of tickets all the time. It's because there's a a belief that I can put in two bucks and get back 500 million. Even though the odds are against you, people still play the lottery because there's a way to put a little in and maybe get a lot out. Now, the problem is you look at the number of people that win 500 million and it ain't going to happen. I mean, it ain't going to happen for me and you. It's going to happen to somebody, but it's, I mean, the odds are so stacked against you. I, I would I would simply say, maybe I can do this. I'm going to read something uh, that I brought with me, not knowing if we would get to this particular yeah, sure. place. This this will be really quick. Uh, I'll make sure I give you a copy, and then you can post it if you guys like it enough to use it later. Just listen to these words. I think they're very, very powerful. It's about three sentences. The master and the art of living. That's a great, that's a great beginning. That the master and the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he's working or playing. To him, he's always doing both. The key to that is your vision of excellence. Hmm. And so if I was going to ask you to write down on a piece of paper, not what can you go do, because that list would be very long. Instead, I would ask you, what does your vision of excellence look like, either with your life or your relationship or your business, with your personal performance and the job that you currently have? What does excellence look like? And once you have clarity around that outcome of excellence, begin to design, okay, what needs to happen for that to happen? Probably the most single, most powerful thing I ever heard was after I had lost a lot of money, I took a sabbatical that lasted 18 months. Um, It was a healing time. I grew a ponytail. I got my ear pierced. I started reading religion and, and philosophy and theologies and all theologies. And I had a guru that I was studying under. This was a very, very wise teacher, very wise man. He taught me some incredible lessons, and he said something to me towards the end of our time together. I'll never forget. He looked looked straight at me, and he said, Keith, hell on earth would be to meet the man you could have been. That still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I think about that every single day. Every single day for the last 27 years, I've thought about that statement. And I, my thought is, I want to be able to meet the man I could have been, look that guy in the eyeball and say, I know you because I am you. Who's the, who's the man? Who's the woman 
Who's the person you could have been and begin designing toward that level of excellence? I think the key to what you had talked about earlier on, um, you ever heard what Gary says about this? The number one reason people fail to live the one thing or achieve extraordinary results, they're unwilling to endure the monotony of success. Hmm. Everything we have talked about today from asking the question, who's the person I could have become, or the idea of doing thinking time or asking one question a day, name any single thing that you've been inspired to take action on, we promise you the novelty will wear off. There will come a day where you do not want to have clarity on your outcomes, to ask what are my priorities, to have your calendar match your priorities. You will not want to sit down and do your thinking time. There will come the day because success is not about doing the latest shiny object. It's about being consistent on the things that matter most, enduring the monotony of success. So out of everything we've talked about for you, what's the one thing that you can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? Are you willing to whittle it down to a two-inch dominant that you can knock over so you don't let perfection get in the way of your possibilities? And are you willing to stick with it at least for 66 days so that it can become a habit, so it happens with little to no effort? Because then you formed a power habit. People don't decide their futures. They decide their habits. And their habits decide their futures. Keith, where can people learn more about you and where can they get their copy of the road less stupid because at this point I'm pretty sure they they know they need to get it. You do need this book. It's it's a good one. Rest assured my net worth does not go up or down depending upon whether or not you do or don't buy it. So this is for you. Um you can go to our website keys to the vault. keys to the vault.com. Uh you can email us at info at keys to the vault.com. Certainly, you can Google me, Keith J. Cunningham, and all of my websites and books and stuff I teach will pop up. You can call us uh, at 512-231-9944. Email us at info at keys to the vault. If all you want is the book, you can get it from us. You can get it from Amazon. Uh, They're more than happy to help you. It's Audible at this point, is it? or within a day or two. Oh, so, yeah, there we go. So Monday or Tuesday of next week. So by the time right. this uh, people are listening to this, it'll be audible yeah. uh, and available uh, in an audio format. And that, uh, I read it, which was mind-numbingly, uh, that's part of the mind-numbing success that Gary talks about. Reading your own book is difficult, but nevertheless, I did. And so... Uh, it's available in that format can, as well. Can we make an interesting challenge for them? Sure. Can I get a signed copy? Okay. Here's why. I heard that, You already signed my copy. Okay. So here's why. What I want to do is I want those of you, um, based on what you've heard, I w- we asked you a question. What's the one thing you can do such that by doing it make everything else easier or unnecessary? I want you to go to wherever you're listening to this podcast player of choice and leave a review with the one thing that you are going to do. Based on this episode, make sure you mention with Keith Cunningham so we can filter it. We are going to pick the best one and we will get a copy signed from Keith and we will have it shipped to you. I'm going to give him three copies. 
and he's going to pick the best three because I'm going to sign three copies and he'll pick three and figure out who those are. So go to your podcast player of choice, leave a review with the one thing that you are going to do based on this episode. Make sure you mention, listen to the episode with Keith Cunningham and then we will announce it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for traveling the road less stupid. Well, there you have it. Part two of the habit that costs $100 million to learn and why it was worth it. As I sat back and had a chat with Kaylin, our community manager for The One Thing, and I asked her, everything that we covered, what's the thing that really stood out to you? And she loved how Keith had said that there's no secrets at this point, right? If It's not like you put the dollar in and you're going to win the 500 million. It's success is not minimal effort, extraordinary results. It's about having clarity on the outcomes you want to achieve. That gives you clarity on what your priorities are. And based on that, it gives you clarity on what your calendar needs to look like. And based on that, you bring accountability into your world so you do the right activities consistently. Consistent actions done over time produce extraordinary results. Where in your life are you failing to endure the monotony of success? Where in your life are you allowing the novelty to wear off and because you've gotten bored, you are chasing the next shiny object? Where in your life are you allowing perfection to get in the way of what's possible? Our hope for you is that based on these two episodes, that you get clarity on the two-inch domino that you can do, such that by doing it consistently will turn into a habit and make everything else easier or unnecessary. If you would like help identifying some of the power questions that you can ask for your thinking time blocks, you can get a copy of The Road Less Stupid. You can get it on Amazon. You can go directly to Keith's website, keystothevault.com, or you can get it at audible.com slash one thing or by texting the word one thing to the number 500 500. And if you would like a signed copy, remember two ways you can do it. One is leave a review. If this added value to you, please leave a review referencing this episode and the one thing that you are going to do. We're going to be curating those through the end of the month and announcing on July 9th who the winners will be. The other way you can be entered in and considered to win one of the copies is by sharing this episode on your social media platform of choice with the hashtag, the one thing. That'll allow us to curate them. We're going to pick the best ones and we will announce the three winners on July 9th. And we'll be sending those three people a signed copy of The Road Less Stupid. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you are not yet subscribed, please click that button so all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode with another best-selling author on how the best leaders make everyone smarter and the multiplier effect. We'll see you in the next episode. 